0: I worked at uh, like Wagamama, the restaurant chain. You know, I was like 17, 18. And I remember one time I went into work and I was like violently hungover. And I yeah was like, had this like giant knife in my hand, like cutting a piece of chicken. And I was like looking down at the chicken and I was like, I'm still drunk.
1: Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain this podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today, we're joined by the new Netflix star on the block, Ruby Stokes from Lockwood & Co., the supernatural drama you have to watch. You might also recognise Ruby from playing Francesca in Bridgerton, but she took a leap of faith to leave the Tom behind to join Lockwood & Co., In this episode, Ruby tells me about that decision, the onset mishaps in the show, her hungover past working in Wagamama, and that pesky thing we all have to deal with every day, adulting. That's right, we even cover paying bills. (laughs) I love what Ruby has to say about making friends as an adult, so if you haven't found your people yet, I hope this makes you feel a little less alone. (laughs) Babe, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm good. I mean, I've had a couple of trials and tribulations today, but we are here. We're thriving. We're raring to go. Where in the world are you right now? Paint me the picture.
0: I am in London um, where I live, but I've just moved. So I'm like, I'm staring at a load of boxes, but you're seeing this (laughs) lovely blue wall.
1: (laughs) I love that. Well, if you also, you can see what's going on here. I've literally got like the weeks washing here. This is like the dumping ground.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: I feel that We've all got one Well Babe Lockwood and Co I am so high-key obsessed with the show And for those who are listening right now haven't watched it yet It's based on alternative reality, isn't it? Where the British public is plagued By sinister spirits and demons And there was just me thinking that dealing mm-hmm. with my everyday demons was bad enough <laughs> And then I watched this. I was like, oh yeah. my God, this is an intense world to live in. And I'm not going to lie, it's also slightly made me <laughs> quite like, it's really played me with a little bit of nightmares, actually. It's actually very scary. Do you actually believe in ghosts?
0: I definitely believe there's like an energy, like a sort of, there are different spirits, different energies out there. Yeah, I'm not good with the dark, so like, I'm scared of scary noises. Like, no- ju- noises in general will just like, spook me out. Um but when we were filming we actually filmed in like lots of big abandoned like mansions and houses Mm -hmm. so you end up convincing yourself that oh my god like something's around the corner but i can't say i've had an encounter just yet
1: no but when you were dealing with those cgi ghosts which are very petrifying like let's not beat around the bush here what were you actually (laughs) staring at and envisaging at that point
0: God, yeah, it it really varied, Josh. Like, sometimes it was a a crane with, like, like a camera crane with red lights on it. Sometimes it was a tennis ball. Sometimes (laughs) it was, like, this um, big orb that had, I think it was for the S effect, like, the special effects. It had, like, it was a mirrored ball. And then most of the time it was this really lovely guy called Mikey who was kind of, he's a puppeteer and, like, He'd wear a green suit and have this sort of ghost figurine on like a stick that lit up, and he'd be like dashing around the room in a green suit. So mostly it was that.
1: <laughs> Stunning. I would love to know what he said when he went home from work every day. <laughs> so today i would be wearing a green suit, running around, suit. freaking people out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are many great like screen grabs from from those times where Mikey's like standing with a. With this ghost attached this like light attached to a pole and he's just in this green suit. I did sometimes have to stop myself but um from like having a little giggle, but it always he's such a positive like energy to be around and he always was up for the laugh too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. Well, Lucy is such an epic character. I loved her, she's everything I love about an on screen hero. She's got not only has she got incredible powers, but she is very layered to say the least. And it's a very like heartbreaking story at the beginning where, you know, she's running away from home. She's um, been in a home of domestic violence. And then she joins this, what you might call a startup company <laughs> in Lockwood Go, and, and starts to find herself. And then they're uncovering this dark conspiracy dun dun dun. What did you learn about yourself through playing her?
0: I think it was really interesting and exciting to explore the physical language of the show um mm. and you know Lu- also lucy what i love about her is that she's yes she's like this young woman at the helm of kind of you know i loved when i read the books it's from her perspective but also she's you know so fleshed out and well-rounded jonathan stroud the author makes her so real and four-dimensional and so do all the writers on the show she's just a, a young woman going through the experience of like the universal experience of being a teenager mm. you know and i i love that about her and i think i learned you know a lot a lot about myself <laughs> kind of you, you, what i loved as well is the, the, the aspect of being really strong um lucy's mm. really strong and i think I learned to kind of, I, I don't know, like I, I've always loved being strong when I was younger as well. Like someone who stood out to me was you, Kat, Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. I loved her Obsessed. when I was sort of around. You know what I mean? I when, when I was that age and because all she cared about was being strong. And at that time, mm. you know, I hadn't been like kind of plagued, I guess is the word, by kind of conventional pressures of society and beauty standards and the way that we want to look and all I cared about was being strong. And I love that that's all she cared about too. So I, yeah, I learned that about myself and I don't, yeah, just being strong. I don't know, I keep talking about that word.
1: Has it given you like a new found love and respect for your body and your body image in a way, in that sense?
0: Yes, um, because I think... You know, once you do end up being plagued by whatever, you know, the way that you want to look or you feel you should look, you, I guess, only end up getting more comfortable in yourself physically and mentally. Um, And with this role, all I cared about, I didn't care about sort of the way I looked. I cared about being able to do it justice in -hmm. terms of getting really strong and the stamina and the fitness that it needed in order to, bring these characters, bring this character to life, Um, you know, and in turn, you know, because I wasn't focusing on, oh, I need to look a certain way, I just Mm -hmm. need to be fit. I got really lean because I was trying to get, you know, really strong for the role. Um, And it it definitely made me think of my body in a different way and that actually it's, I think it's just... uh, It's just a vessel for keeping you happy and healthy.
1: Mm, That's such a positive place to come to because you were saying how physical the show was and it is a very physical role. I mean, you're running around, you're like dodging ghosts left, right and centre. You're then flipping a sword around, you're dangling off a picture down some steps. Honestly, I was like, whoa, this is intense. Did you have any mishaps? I imagine there must've been a couple of mishaps of that sword along the way.
0: (laughs) There was one moment it's like at the end of one of these apps, I was stood in the cemetery and like Lucy lobs this sword and she throws it up at this just up and she it goes on like this long trajectory. And it's meant to be this really powerful move. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I was a little bit nervous, but I I had it in hand. Um, <laughs> I've um, got
1: this, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, like I was like, okay, cool, like, you know, pat myself on the back, I've got this. And it was a, like this really big camera move with this like big camera crane and the two grips, Johnny and Neil stood on either side of it, you know, to keep it steady. And the first AD on on this block, uh, Richard Graysmark, was kind of like stood next to the camera as well, because he was going like, and throw. And, and so I like the first time I did it, I threw it. And it just, it didn't really go up. It just kind of nose dived and it went straight past like, jo- like one of the grips faces. And it just, it hit the first AD. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I (laughs) definitely like ended up like lobbing this plastic sword at at someone. Um, So I had had a couple, but other than that, you know, all good.
1: Other than that, you had it in hand. I honestly was convinced you were Northern after watching this. That Northern accent you perfected is stunning. It's so good. How did you come about perfecting that? Walk me through
0: um well actually when I went into the audit like when I did myself tape and did the audition I went in like proper like Yorkshire like Northern god I'm. people are gonna be like you're butchering this what are you doing <laughs> um, but I went in I went in like proper like well let's go to pub and I don't know like let's do anything like that and then um I think it was like the first time I met Joe and that like Nyra and Carmel, um, properly, or maybe the second time that Joe was like, No, nah, we let's just, let's just <laughs> pair that back, a bit. pair it back. And so, I did like a session on Zoom with Jill McCulloch, the dialect coach, and we just ended up sort of clipping the vowels in order to like instead of elongating the vowels, we clipped them. So, I guess the accent is more regional, like you can place it sort of maybe in more places in the north um but yeah i i I really enjoyed doing that accent
1: what was your favorite bit of northern lingo that you picked up
0: there's not a whole heap of northern lingo in the show there was there's a moment where like she goes um she's eating a canapé or something and she's like she spits it out and she's like that's disgusting and Lockwood's was like oh why she's like because it's got like Worcestershire sauce on and he goes like would you prefer it with gravy or something and or she's like why can't they just do it with gravy like what why's it gotta be like this (laughs) (laughs) I was like I I can't remember if yeah but I remember like I remember we all ended up kind of like drinking gravy to like keep us warm as well on night shoots God, now I'm really stereotyping. Like gravy's not a wholly northern thing. I don't know. Like <laughs> we could do a whole heap of northern things. So. <laughs> Show.
1: I love how you were drinking gravy to keep warm. That is a that is the last thing I would ever think of doing.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't. Re- yeah, we just occasionally. Like I remember Cameron would request, uh, like we would request some gravy because it was like. <laughs> like Baltic outside and be like, what's the thing that's going to keep us warm?
1: I know, gravy. <laughs> yeah,
0: give me some Bisto, you know?
1: <laughs> the nichest diva demand I've ever heard is, can I get some Bisto gravy yeah, to drink? Yeah. <laughs> Lucy does present herself and also feels like a bit of an outsider. Have you ever felt like an outsider?
0: Yeah, Definitely. I felt a bit like an outsider, a bit of an outcast. I think maybe everybody does at some points, especially, you know, going through school and going through secondary Mm. school. Um, Kids can be mean, man. Like, kids can be not very nice. Um, But I was always one of those people, I think, I, like, managed to, you know, I was never a leader, but I was never, like super on the outside, I was always just managed to, like, go under the radar mm. and, like, just fit in. Um, in. In social circles, I think that's always how I kind of worked.
1: Mm. I totally resonate with that. I was always, like, trying to find my little way in, little, my little box that was like, I feel like am an outsider. But then you literally fake it yeah, till yeah. you make it, right? Like that's And that's what she does, because she, she then ends up finding her people in Anthony and George, When do you feel like you found your people?
0: God, God, I think you're always searching for your people, aren't you? You're always, you're always looking for your people. But definitely when I went to college, um, you know, I was really fortunate that I did find lots of friends that I love and really care for there and have stayed really good friends with them all. I think when you find like-minded people and people mm-hmm. who are willing to support you and encourage you and uplift you, those those people are your tribe and who you find a connection with. But, and God, it sounds so bloody cringe, but like even, you know, at work, I think getting, you know, I'm so fortunate that I get to do what I love. And when I'm at work, I feel like I'm with, you know, people that, you know, I love and on Lockwood as well it's such a a great fortune that you get I got to work opposite people and work with people that I ended up becoming really good friends with and that always makes you know work really fun Mm. um but I think I think as an adult like you're not you have to go searching for situations where you find friends because you know when you're younger you go through school and you're placed into school and so you naturally are in an environment with 30 other kids and you you connect with people much easier, whereas as an adult you spend more time on your own. And I didn't end up kind of going to uni, so I didn't end up finding my like a crowd of people that way. And I remember thinking, "Oh my god, how do, how do you make friends as an adult?"
1: <laughs> oh my god, making friends as an adult is actually so hard, and there's no like rule book or manual. For how to do it. And you're just like, right, okay, so I'm gonna muddle through. And also, it's also, I also think making friends as an adult is easier in some ways, because you know yourself more, so you'll know what you're willing exactly. to like, what you're, you know a little bit more about your boundaries, what you're willing to set, what you're not willing to set. But then equally, that can also make it quite difficult too. It's a roller coaster, friendships as an adult. It
0: is, it definitely is. <laughs>
1: One of the things that I also love about Lucy, I mean, there's like a million things, but she's very open in the show about her mental health and that kind of visibility on screen is so important, especially in a show like Lockwood & Co where the audience might skew slightly younger and to see that on screen is so important. If you could give any advice to your younger self about mental health, what would it be?
0: Maybe just believe in you're like just believe in yourself and just be yourself um sometimes you can develop like an inner voice that's just can actually be pretty strong and hard to tell to like shut up um Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think just you be yourself um and also i I was really i'm really lucky that you know my my parents and my family are super encouraging and they, they always kind of there to be a shoulder to lean on or or listen to me and vice versa as well and same with my friends um i think you know what we said about finding your tribe i think finding a good group of people that you trust um is super important who you feel that you can speak to
1: how's your relationship with that inner voice now and how have you managed to find it at points i
0: think just believing in like well like you said fake it till you make it right believing in yourself trying even if you don't have that confidence trying to trying to squash it um is always you know like well it's easier said than done isn't it but again it's just I'm really you know not everybody has it and I'm really fortunate to have a really incredible support network that when I'm being like maybe a bit you know hard on myself or whatever it's even hard to admit that you're being hard mm. on yourself um i've got yeah really lucky to have those people around me that will say oh come on like or let's have a chat
1: or whatever mm. one of the interesting things about her as well is that her superpower is listening i mean obviously she's listening to <laughs> spirits on the other side which is a little bit different to listening in the real world but i think it's interesting there it is such a heightened state of listening because I think we as a society are so used to talking, we're not necessarily used to listening. Um, and I think our conversations, especially about mental health, focus on talking, but not necessarily listening to others and listening to other people's points of view as well. When do you feel like you've been or felt the most listened to or heard?
0: I can, well, when I'm talking to, you know, my mum and my parents, like my mum and dad, um, they really listen to me and are incredibly supportive um you know even if I just want to like not even talk about my mental health like just ramble or like talk about something I saw today or oh my god a book I read uh, or a book I read or a movie I saw my parents are like maybe even at their detriment because they maybe don't even want to listen to me but <laughs> they always will um, <laughs> or I'll, I'll call my mum up and be telling her about something and you know before I know it has been like 40 minutes um it, there, yeah, I'm just very lucky to be very supported uh, in that way.
1: I love that. 40 minutes in, and she's probably like, babes, I've got stuff to do."
0: <laughs> or she's just got like got me on speaker, and she's cooking dinner like a podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're a walking, talking podcast <laughs> for your <Yeah>, mum. Well... <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about Lockwood and Co. is also all about the power of the underdog which is a concept which I love. We all love an underdog. Have you ever felt like an underdog? And when do you feel like you've dug the deepest to prove people or even yourself wrong?
0: I think going back to that inner voice is like, I feel like I've dug the deepest to tell that, to like, shut up, get in your box, get in your place. Um, That's when I've dug the deepest, but trying to like prove, if somebody doubts me, um maybe I can be (laughs) sometimes not all the time but maybe I can be a little bit stubborn and being like right I've gotta you know not necessarily prove you wrong but prove myself right Mm
1: -hmm. that you were
0: wrong to doubt me you know
1: yeah that's can be a hard thing to get over the self-critic in order to be able to then do that to (laughs) you know prove the external critics wrong but like it's a journey but if you can get there it's so satisfactory when you can literally can go you may have doubted me babes but look at me now (laughs) look at me now and I think one of the themes as well that comes through is this theme of adulting and taking those first steps out into the world as an adult fending for yourself what do you think's been like a coming of age moment for you?
0: I think maybe this is so unromantic and not (laughs) at all movie worthy but um, maybe like when the first time I felt like I probably had to adult was when I like paid my council tax it's just the most like unclickbaity answer ever but it's yeah like paying my council tax for the first time i ringing up the, the the office and being like yeah, yeah I've got a bill to pay yeah like that was um, pretty much yeah I'm an adult now I'm a big kid paying gas bills what can I say
1: Honestly, if I do anything that involves paying a bill, like for instance, the other day, this is so lame, but like I went through and cancelled like direct debits where I've literally been paying like, God knows how much money to so many different companies for so long. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to get myself together. And I was like, look at me go. And if I do anything like that, I honestly feel like I deserve like an Olympic medal. I remember setting up my council tax on direct debit and being like, whoa. This is me. You are ahead of I love, the curve. Give me a of Babes, I'm ahead of the curb.
0: Wow. Council tax on direct debit.
1: Babes. Well, I've done
0: that. I just like, <laughs> I like swallow my pride and pay that lump sum and go, no, it's done.
1: You had it here first. This podcast is full of very key life lessons.
0: Yeah. It's out direct debit, guys.
1: Sponsored by your local council authority. Yeah. Well, like, I think it's because people are really going to get to know you on screen playing this character on Lockwood & Co. But let's take it back to the beginnings of your career. Can you remember your first ever performance? And I'm talking like the nativity. What were we doing? What was our first like shining moment?
0: I definitely like played a cowgirl, but that was like That was like Small World, stepping it up a bit. I think at like a gala. Was that just
1: around the house? (laughs) Or was the cowgirl thing something you did? It
0: it was like part of like a youth group, I remember. And I remember it was the first time I sort of like got to dress up and my mum got this like plaid shirt for me and I wore these like jeans and I had a hat and I felt great. Um, But yeah, I did a gala. And then the first like performance I remember just absolutely loving but not realizing I love it I loved it like I look back on it and was like oh you loved that like <laughs> it was I there was a performance of um like end of year six you know like you do a play and you graduate and you move to secondary school and we did Annie and I remember like really wanting the role of Annie but then I got Miss Hannigan and I was like actually you know what this is my like this is my villain era. Like, I'm, you know, let me take this on. And I was like, you know what? She's so much more nuanced. She's got so much more sub tags. And I like, I went and got my, I like made my mum, like, I begged her to buy me these like press on nails that were like leopard print. And I like this like silk gown leopard print I'd seen in like Primark. And I really took on the role and I was like, you know, like, little girls, little girls everywhere I look. You know, like, I'm, I think I was the only one that did, like, an American accent as well. And, like, I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm going for this.
1: <laughs> Babe, you really excelled. You had the nails, you had the Primark. You, you really brought that vision together. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was it was a whole vision.
1: It's a very young age to go into your villain era.
0: <laughs> I was starting young, you know? <laughs>
1: Good to test it out. Good to test it out. And I think a lot of people also recognise you from being in Bridgerton, playing Francesca in Bridgerton. I can't even imagine how difficult it was to leave that show. How did that come about? Because you left the show to join Lockwood & Co. And I imagine that must have felt like, oh, whoa, this is quite a big decision. Like, how did it all come about?
0: Yeah, it was huge. And not, you know, not when I took lightly either. it was very difficult, but I loved working on that show, and I it was so incredible to be a part of like such a cultural moment, and
1: mm. I
0: loved playing that character. I loved working and being surrounded by that cast and crew and the people that I got to work with. Um, yeah, and I just left college when I kind of got the role and I started on it, and almost like the character, I got to just observe. You know, the character she was constantly observing and. I got to observe this, like, huge, incredible spectacle and scale of production, Um, and I learned so much, Um, and especially from the people, you know, the people around me who are, you know, incredibly loving and caring and welcoming and genuine and just, like, hilarious. Like, everybody is, like, just hilarious. Um, And, yeah, I feel like that role and that those people and that environment and that production prepared me to go and do a role like Lucy and Lockwood and & Co. And, you know, I, I really feel that it, it, yeah, it prepared me and I learned so much from the people around me and also, like, the value and kind of extending a hand and always being how kind and how valuable that is and how much, like, someone holds it close to them.
1: Because it does seem like it's a bit like a finishing school for actors in that sense. Because you do have all these amazing talents on screen. Who do you think you learned the most from? Or who gave you like a really key piece of advice where you were like, oh, whoa.
0: Uh, yeah, I couldn't possibly say. Like, I learned so much from everyone and different things from different people. Um, you know, everyone is so funny. You know, I had great fun. Um, Ruth was incredibly, like, loving and caring, and she really, like, took me and others under her wing and made me feel, like, so at home. You know, Johnny, Lu- Lu- Nicola, Claudia, Phoebe, Will, Flo, they're all so funny and just... I've never laughed as much as I have with those people and felt so at home. It's... I really love everyone from it, and they taught me a lot.
1: Have you had any funny slash disastrous job or audition moments?
0: I worked at uh, like Wagamama, the restaurant chain. You know, I was like 17, 18. and I used to work on like Sundays when everyone would have like a party on a Saturday or a Friday or something. And I remember one time I went into work and I was like violently hungover, and I yeah was like had this like giant knife in my hand, like cutting a piece of chicken. <laughs> And I was like looking down the and I was like, I'm still drunk. Oh my God. I'm like, mom, I feel sick. You know, I, I ended up getting through that shift, but I was like, never again, <laughs> never again. Will I come into work like hungover? I just like, I'm not built for that.
1: Oh my God. I remember some horrific moments of, I used to work at Topshop back in the day when I was like yeah. 16 and but like, and this was when I was like proper fully going like ow, out, out. And because you'd be like, what are you doing after work girls going out? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I remember getting, being so hungover that I was like led down in like the staff toilet. Whilst my friend was oh, that she no. sat there stroking my hair and just literally feeding me McDonald's chicken nuggets to try and save me up to, in order to literally get through yeah. the shit. And I was like, this is the most bleakest <laughs> moment of my whole life. I've led down in a toilet and you're literally beating me McDonald's chicken nuggets. And I was like, oh, "Yeah." <laughs> emotionally scarring moments from jobs that stay from you forever.
0: Oh yeah, that defo taught me like I I think, you know, like I, I was like, I'm done, I'm done with this, like going out before work. Um and I yeah, I don't really think I ever turned up to work hungover after that. <laughs>
1: Babe, that is impressive, I have to say. I mean, sometimes I still turn up for work a little bit hungover. But, you know, we're we're all dealing (laughs) with that adult process at different times. So we do quickly need to talk about this because everyone is obsessed with... I mean, I'm obsessed with season one of Lockwood & Co. And it's only just been released. But if you could be in a meeting room and you've got your own PowerPoint presentation and you can decide what is going to happen in season two... What do you want to God. see happen next? Oh,
0: I'd love to see Lucy doing more fighting. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think this season she does do fights and she does do, you know, she, she does do some of that and she intervenes and she goes off on her own and she, you know, bloody like, takes control of things, but I I want to see her initiating more fights and you know saving Lockwood I want to see Lucy save Lockwood and save George and use all the weapons in the show there are so like there are chains which George like Ali who plays George uses a lot and I love that I think that was so cool
1: So Lucy's going to enter her fighter era
0: Yeah this season she is you know she's she's learning she you know she joins this agency and yes she's got it all but she's learning like how he works and how the agency works and how they work together and how she can fit herself in here and how to take on challenges and and all, all these things that she's constantly dealing with and then she's dealing with this newfound like power and it, it can all be i guess a little bit overwhelming so next if if you know If there is one, or if there was one, I'd love to see her kind of harnessing that and taking control.
1: Ooh, I'm loving this for her. But I really need to know what's in that room. This is... And I actually cannot believe I might have to wait another year to find out what is in that bloody room. What do you think is in that room?
0: Like, a giant chocolate fountain. And he doesn't want to admit (laughs) to everyone that he actually just you know has this giant chocolate fountain that he goes in and he's got a secret stash of uh, marshmallows as well and occasionally he doesn't want anyone stealing from him you know he knows that uh, mm. both lucy and george love their cooking and love their love their food so he's like you know i've got to keep this one thing secret um no i've got i've got no <laughs> idea what's behind that that <laughs>
1: I mean, I have to say, it was the last thing that I would expect to be behind that door as a chocolate fountain. And do you know what? In this show, you've got to learn that the unexpected always happens.
0: Expect the unexpected. You know, he goes, "You want to see what's behind it?" And we all go, "You don't have to if you don't." Like he opens it and he goes, "It's my secret stash." And we're like, what? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, I've got, I've got no idea, and I, I don't want to take a guess because I don't want to get it wrong
1: okay well as far as plot twists go the (laughs) the chocolate fountain would be really (laughs) up there in the show well before you go the ending question of every episode is in the reign of your life what is the one rule you will always live by
0: to push yourself outside of your comfort zone even if you know we're all creatures of comfort we love things that make us feel all good and like gooey inside but occasionally if you can you know step outside of that comfort zone and you never know what will come from it because normally it's good things um, but even if you make a mistake you learn from that mistake and you take it forward
1: I love that and that is what you've done with signing up to this show right stepping outside your comfort zone
0: Yeah, and I loved it. I had a great time.
1: So Stepping Out the Comfort Zone comes Highly Recommended.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'd highly recommend that one. Love it. And Paying Your Council Tax.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me, babe. It's been so great talking to you. And there has to be a second season. If there's not, I'm literally going to get my placards. I'll be marching outside that Netflix office that you wouldn't believe because I need to know if that chocolate fountain is behind that door, babe. Yeah.
0: You and me both, Josh. You and me, Thank
1: you so much. Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Host. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow, and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook and audiobook read by me no less and it's out on the 20th of June.